Guys, welcome to the Physique Factory podcast with your hosts, Conor Moran and James Tilsley. Today, we've got a special guest on, Coach Josh McHale. I'll let you lead the way, James, with this one. Cool. So today we've got Josh on. Um, if you don't know, Josh is my coach. He's been coaching a very long time. So do you want to say a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so I've pretty much been online coaching and for like the past eight, nine years, PTing for longer, like 10, 12 years now. Um, started off in the gym just as everyone does, you know, coaching the, the average client in the gym. And then transitioned into coaching competitors earlier on, like when I, I suppose it first got very popular uh, back in the UK BFF days, if anyone remembers them. I uh, started with three or four bikini girls at the time and did very well with those, you know, winning shows and things like that. And I think that's where I kind of then got the niche of, you know, prepping bikini competitors. And then as time's gone on, prepping more bodybuilders, more physique guys like yourself, um, which is nice because I've never had the intention of specifically coaching bikini girls. So, you know, I wanted to, to coach as many different competitors and classes as possible. Cool. Did it? Um, did you start with like the female clients at first and obviously it just went into that because I think you might really, really well with that sort of things as well. Yeah, I think it's like, again, like when you do well with any client and you look at any coach that kind of a, sp- a particular client goes to them, it's because they've typically done well with that client and that might not be intentional and often it's not. It's just they have got like, I tell like, like a friend, Dan Wellburn, he, he's known for like coaching figure girls because he's done well with those those girls, you know, for a long time. So typically they'll, you know, they'll go to Dan Wellburn if you're a figure girl or, you know, and that's the that's the kind of the, the way people, you know, view coaches, I think. Yeah, cool. Cool. Um, you said like you started up like PT and where did you start PT at? Um, Total Fitness in Wilmslow. Ah, cool. Wicked. Which is a massive gym. It's like one of the biggest gyms in Europe. It's got like an indoor running track around it. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, obviously like a quite an affluent area as well. Because I, So I moved from North Manchester, South Manchester to, to work there. Um, and I loved it. And I think my, I think my advice would be to anyone again on my coaches going PT first. Like you, you, you learn a lot about people and 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 people's how they think, how they act, and you know you, you learn a lot that you can't learn uh, online, especially if you're working with lifestyle clients. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what me and Connor. Well, me and Connor are pretty busy. We're doing like 40, 50 hours a week, like PT, and yeah. we're just trying to like grow that online thing now. So we've done the PT stuff with doing a lot of hours on the gym floor. It's about doing the uh, the online stuff now. Obviously, it's a little bit different. So there's a different um, way we've got to go about it. But yeah. Yeah, yeah it's different. There'll, there'll be a lot of carryover there. You know, you kind of get that rapport building and everything when you're with someone one-to-one. But that's possibly harder to do online. Um, but, you know, you'll be able to carry over the skills that you kind of develop with one-to-one clients onto that kind of stuff. Um, on yourself, Josh, you've, you've competed yourself, haven't you? Yeah, I've competed for the past eight years, I think now. Yeah, yes. How did you get into that? Um, I've always loved bodybuilding, like when back in the college days, but and well, back in school to be fair, I started training with my mates. Um, and I never really like like played any sports. I didn't really enjoy team sports. It used to piss me off when people when we'd lose because of someone else. So bodybuilding was like the perfect sport for me because it all depended on me and what I put in and what I did. Um, and I remember like someone bringing, um, I think it was my dad's someone who worked for my dad. He brought on my DVD. And it was Ronnie Coleman's training videos. And I watched that and I was like, fuck, this is insane. <laughs> and then pretty much from there, I just started training more, taking it more seriously. And then um, did my first show, which was 
horrendous. Um, they all are, aren't they? Yeah, this is yeah. <laughs> but this is this shows like the evolution of competing now because you go to a first timer show now, the standard is just as good as any show. What was yeah. your first show? It was the UK BFF Northwest. Oh, at the uh, Par Par Hall. Par Hall, yeah. That's I did it. that as well. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did that, and then I did. I, a couple of years later, I went to the, the the British for the UK BFF, and I've done the Naba Universe. I got sixth there in the Universe. Then I uh, went on to do PCA, um, won the British at the PCA, and got my pro card there with those. Nice. That's awesome. Is it men's oh, men's bodybuilding? I'm assuming. Yeah. 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 Yeah, oh, that's cool. What what kind of class do you come in? And I mean, how do they work that with you guys? Because like, I know like in the natural shows, it kind of gets split into like lightweight, uh, middleweight, heavyweight. But sometimes it can be like height based and things like that as well. Eh? Yes. Depending on which federation you do. So if you do like PCA at the height base, Nabo was height based. Yeah. Uh, or if you go like down the IFBB route, that'll be uh, weight categories. Yeah, yeah, that's it, cool. So uh... where do you kind of fall there? So I'll be a light heavyweight. On our next, oh, okay. If I competed with uh, IFBB, but I'm class four, which is the, the dwarf class in... Um... <laughs> I would be that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the short class, the short guys. <laughs> with the federations, um, what's like the difference? Because I know there's people, they're looking for like different looks, aren't they? Like the, last year, FitX and PCA, there's people finishing like first or winning the actual British title for PCA and then doing the FitX and finishing nowhere near. I don't know what they're what they're looking for in terms of like I don't know, all all different categories. Yeah, I think like FitX are trying to align themselves more towards like the IFB, IFBB kind of side yeah. of things. So there's different categories in some federations. Um like PCA you'll get a class like train bikini for example, which there's not like a similar class in any other federation than that. Um you know, if you go to like FitX and you're a figure girl, you'll pose like you would do at the IFBB, but there's a little bit different PCA. So there's all these different things. And some people will suit certain federations more than others um, and certain classes more than others, of course. But like you said, you know, you get a different judge. And this is bodybuilder's subjective sport as well. Yeah. Someone's interpretation of what the what the criteria is can be different than somebody else's. So you can have one judging panel one day and you can place first. You can have another judging panel the next day and place fourth. And that's bodybuilding. Yeah. yeah it must be so, confusing for you, yeah, actually, as yeah. a coach, when, like, you know, you've got a client, right, right, I want to do this show, this show, and this show, and you're like, fuck mm. me, I've got so many different things, like, what is this, um, you know, federation looking for, and what's the rules for this federation, and things like that. It must, uh, it must take a lot of keeping up with from your behalf. Yeah, exactly. Like, you could have some females, for example, that want to do one federation where they've got to be absolutely peeled. And the next one where they might have to be a little bit softer. So, it's, you know, that can be, that can make things a little bit harder when it comes to like peaking for show days and how close the shows are together and things like that. Um, but that's where I'll try and drive people towards the shows and the classes and the federations that will suit them best and that, that their physique suits the best. Because often you get people that are trying to do one class and they really don't suit it. So yeah. there's a new class in the UK now called Wellness. Um and it's similar to bikini, but they're a lot bigger in the lower body. So you, you, the, 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 the balance between the upper body and the lower body is very low body dominant, where bikini is a bit more balanced. Um, and, you know, a lot of girls think that now that they can be like a wellness competitor because they, they have bigger legs. Um, and you get a lot of girls being, you know, aiming for that class and competing in that class when really they should, they should be in a bikini class. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, um, 
this is more for my own sake because I'm not I, I don't really I don't really keep up with the, the women's side of things that much but like what is kind of the difference between like bikini figure and you get do you get like athletic as well is that right and just like there's and then obviously like women's bodybuilding that's that's an obvious one we know what that is um, but like yeah what's the difference between all these classes so bikini is obviously like a, a little bit less muscle not quite as conditioned as say uh, a figure class like an athletic figure it's it's again, it's about having a look, having a certain balance to your physique. So bikini, typically the smaller girls, and you, you, you go into like, if you do like a PCA route, you go into like a toned figure class, which is a little bit softer, a little bit more muscle. Then you've got an athletic figure class, which is again, an, an improved condition on the toned figure. So you, you're looking harder, uh, leaner. And then you've got a trained figure as well, which is, you know, a lot more muscle again, and conditions got to be on point there. So even in that figure class there, you've got like a softer type of look in the toned and then like a really hard, bigger look in, in the trained. Are you, a, are you a fan of all these different classes or would you are you someone that would maybe say it kind of dilutes it a little bit? I, I love all the different classes and that's what I like about coaching because you'll get certain people who go, you'd fit brilliant in this class, you'd fit brilliant in that class. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, I, and I love that because it's all they're all challenging and demanding in their own ways. I mean, a lot of people think bikini like, Oh, you'd be able to diet for bikini, no problem. You don't need much muscle for that. That's easy. And it's not the case. Yeah, definitely. What's the yeah. prep looking like for say like females in like bikini? Is any is it totally the same the way you approach it? Or so obviously, like you know the score with with obviously getting leaner. Um you're essentially in a calorie deficit long enough. Um and this is where it's more so the client that will you know, if you've got a certain look, you know, we're saying we're going for figure, we need to be a little bit, well, we need to be a lot leaner, for example, someone's doing an athletic figure than, for example, a bikini. Now, these days, the, the lines are getting a little bit blurred because bikini girls are fucking conditioned, like, they're the lean. Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. the, the, the lines are closing a, a bit in terms of what the condition requirements are there now. Yeah, it's sort of um, just like size between them now. Yeah, it's just mainly muscle mass and, again, a certain look that you, that, that you want for that class. Cool. Um, so there's not a drastic difference in terms of how you would set a prep up for each of those. Yeah. Um, it would just be a case of how hard do we need to push to get that level of condition. Cool. Cool. And it's like, a lot of that is going to be dictated by, by your starting point as well. Yeah, th this is key. And I think a lot of people um, don't consider this. Like obviously, the off-season, you need to gain body fat, you know, enough so to gain muscle. Um, and... To, get, to regain like normal hormonal function if you've done a prep previously. <clears throat> but your start point will, will definitely dictate your end point. If you've got a hell of a lot of body fat to get off and you've got 20 weeks to do so, like realistically, for some people, that's not going to be long enough. Yeah. You know, especially like a natural athlete that can't use other things like thyroid drugs, clenbuterol, all those other drugs that will help get someone to that point. So the start point, sometimes you may have to diet someone before they start prep. Yeah. So, yeah, so they can actually achieve that level of condition. So you might spend eight to 10 weeks before a prep pulling some body fat off, then running some like maintenance phase or even a small calorie surplus phase, just so they're in that position when prep comes around that they're actually able to achieve that, that, that end look. That's cool. I would break it up a little bit as well, because like for anyone that's never done like a contest prep, like it's pretty <laughs> like a long haul, isn't it? It's, it, it comes, 
there's some shit points of it, but there's also some good points of it as well. But um, yeah, it would, it'd be nice to almost, for some people, if you've got a lot of body fat to lose, breaking it up would be a lot easier than going, you know, like 30 weeks of the trot or something like that. But yeah. I, I know people who have done that um, and, you know, pro- probably even longer, to be honest, majority of a year, probably done it myself some years as well, just like most of the year dieting. And it's just, yeah, yeah it's not a lot of fun. <laughs> no, it's not. And again, like when you're prepping like natural um, females, for example, the toll that takes on them physically, mentally, emotionally, and hormonally, you know, yeah. that that can do a lot of damage, you know, to some people. Yeah, like yeah. the hormone side, um, how long would it take someone to recover? Like, say, they've done a prep for about, like, say, 18, 20 weeks, and what would what do you reckon? How long would it take for the hormones to get, like, balanced again? Very person-dependent. Some, some people will recover much quicker than others. Some can take a hell of a long time. It can take six months plus for some females to do that. And for example, when you when you get so lean as a female, your calories are so low, you're going to see down reg- regulation in all of your sex hormones. So all of them will, will, will drop. Thyroid hormone will drop. You feel like shit. You know, you, you, you can't function properly when that when, when you're in that kind of state. You know, you, your hunger signals are all over. <laughs> so it can be a shit storm for some people. Um, so post-show, again, some people will have to gain a lot more body fat for the hormones to start, you know, regulating naturally normally and, you know, get back into a normal range. Others, others can get away with it and they can bounce back so quick. And that's, that's just the, the cards were dealt as, you know, genetically. Do you, uh, do you get all your clients having like the bloods done after the shows just to check that then? Yeah. Like regular blood work again, even if you're natural female, like there's something you still need to be doing. Yeah. yeah definitely. Um, you know, pr- I want to make sure everything's bang on where we need to be as we go through an off-season and you can get an idea of when things are actually back in range because you'll see it when someone's hormones are in in a terrible place like that. The body composition is going to suffer. The training is going to suffer. You know, they just won't look the best and therefore they won't feel the best, which is hard to to process when you've just got off stage looking your absolute best or what you perceive as your absolute best. So it's a tough, tough thing um, post-show if, you know if it's taking you a while for your hormones to get back to a certain place and knowing that you have to have a certain amount of body fat for that to happen, that may mean someone gaining 20 kilos plus, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is a lot of body weight and you're obviously going to feel very uncomfortable doing so. I think it seems like a lot as well when you get so lean and then you put on some weight and you're like, you won't be, you won't be fat by any means, you won't be overweight by any means. But compared to where you've been, you're like, holy shit, I put on so much weight. Look at the state of me now. And like, you know, for, for males and females, that can be a bit of a head fuck, especially after like your first show or something like that. That's massive. Yeah. I mean, like, it's sort of like, well, for the first, when I first did the show and I've seen it in like, like bikini girls and stuff about like binge eating after shows and. We've like all that. been there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've seen like a load of like, girls that they post about it a lot. Um, the mental side of things. Have you like dealt with a lot of clients like that, Josh? Oh, massively, yeah. Like, I think this is one of the main the main struggles with a lot of people is the mental side of things. Um, <clears throat> so if you're that way inclined, this is something you want to consider before you do jump into a, a competition prep. If you've struggled with past eating disorders, whether that be like bulimia, anorexia, just body dysmorphia in, in whatever shape, way, shape, or form, then. You know, it's not something you want to do lightly. What what I would suggest for all people to do is before they do the first prep is do a mock prep. 
do a mock prep, see how you find it, see how you, if you like it for, for starters, see if you enjoy it, see how well you can tolerate it, what, what impact is it having on you mentally, like is it changing your eating habits and all those kind of things, and then see how well you can then run like a, a post-show mock, you know, how well you can reverse diet and all those kind of things. It must be hard for you to tell someone to do that because, like, everyone kind of wants something now. You know, they want everything <laughs> now. Um, but, like, and, and being realistic, bodybuilding's going nowhere. You know, there's always going to be shows. I mean, apart from, like, that year there was a lockdown and things were a bit all over the place, there's always going to be shows. So, like, there's no sense in rushing it. So anyone that is thinking about competing, don't let all this stuff, like, put you off. But, like, definitely, as, as Josh says, like, running a mock prep would probably be a good idea and just you know seeing how far you can take it see what you look like seeing if you're ready for it not that you'll probably ever feel ready because every time you get lean you're like oh, i could you know have i could have more muscle there i could have more muscle there but definitely i, I like that idea josh it's a good enough idea yeah I, i've seen people literally start prepping for two or three weeks and stop yeah <laughs> you know because they don't realize what it takes like they don't realize how they have to change the lifestyle around that so Again, if it's going to be like a massive lifestyle shift, like that can be a problem. We do this stuff day in, day out. We track our food, we train, we know what we're doing day in, day out, what we need to be doing. And our, and our weeks pretty much look the same. We, we creatures a habit, you know, bodybuilders are typically. Um, so if that's not you and you're not doing them things anyway, and you have to do a prep for you to do those things, then that might be an issue. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think a lot of people, again, a lot of what I talk about is like the psychological side of things because that is the thing that impacts people the most. Like it, to get someone stage lean that will do exactly what I say is not hard. Do you know what I mean? It's not. If I've got like, if if I was coaching me, for example, like someone tells me what to do, it just gets done. Do you know what I mean? Like whatever. Yeah. But not everybody's like that. There's the psychological side. People are always, you know, um, they struggle with how they look. Like I said, day to day, even when they're dieting and they're looking better, they can't see that. Do you know? So yeah. the, these these are the struggles as a coach that you 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 often have to deal with more than getting someone to look how you need them to look. Yeah. And which is again is why I think a mock prep, if you've never done a prep before, you know, is is something you really should consider. And not only that, I like to work with people before we start a prep. So in an ideal world, I'd work with someone six to twelve months before we start a prep because I can see what they are like then in an off-season setting. You know, can they be regimented with the food? Can they be regimented with the training? Can they even hit the, the, the water intake they should be having per day? Can they even get enough sleep? Do you know, all these these little things. If I need to be telling, like, a, a seasoned competitor, you make sure you, every week, make sure you've had enough water, make sure you've got enough sleep, then you're only going to go so far. These them things should just be so routine, and you don't shouldn't even have to think about those things. <clears throat> it's like the foundation, isn't it? Yeah, then then basics should be nailed down a long time ago. <clears throat> Again, this is why I like to work with people before prep starts because I we can lose weeks and weeks and weeks in prep if someone's not doing these things and we're trying to have to correct these as we go. Yeah, definitely. I see a lot of that with um, you know like general population clients as well. It's just like someone comes to you and they're just not in a place to start losing body fat. Um, and it's, it's hard, again, to tell them. It's like, look, we need to work on all this stuff first and give you a good base to kind of go from before we can actually start you know, putting you in a calorie deficit and things like that. So it's a hard thing to tell someone, but it's long term. It's going to yield much better results. So I suppose to take home from that is just like, be patient and enjoy the process and um, get yourself in a good position to do this sort of thing. That's the, that, that, that's the key there is enjoying it. Like this should all be enjoyment. You shouldn't, 
it's fucking hard, don't get me wrong. Like, there's days where you just don't want to do stuff and you want to go and eat a load of shit, whatever, but you still should be enjoying the process. Like, it shouldn't be an effort in the sense, like, I've got to do this today. I need to, it should just be so robotic, you know, yeah. like, this is what I need to do. I'm just going to go and do it. I might not feel like it, but it needs to be done. It's like a, a good comparison is, like, you don't want to go to work every day. Like most people that work nine to fives, you don't, they don't bounce out of bed and go, oh, I can't wait to go to work today. <laughs> you don't. Well, that's bodybuilding. We, we don't want to do that every day. We're not going to jump out of bed and go, I can't wait to be fucking starving today and go, and go and kill myself in the gym. You know what I mean? It's the same thing. They just, they just need to be done. If you want that reward, if you want your paycheck at the end of the month, <laughs> it needs to be done. That's it. And, um, when you're setting people up for a prep, say the difference between males and females, how much is it? Like, what have you got to think? What's the difference? Between males and females? Yeah. So again, like females, a, a natural female, or even a natural male, because you're going to have the same issues there in terms of the, the, the down regulation of hormones and the impact that it has on them. The way I would like to, to see a prep is for starters, a male and female is something to be ahead of where they need to be. You know, I don't want to be chasing fat loss right up to the last day. Yeah. So if we can start early and go in more aggressively, then that, that would be the ideal situation. We're getting a lot of work done in that first half of prep. We can then afford to run maintenance weeks. We can manage recovery better. We can, you know, we can increase calories along the way. You've just got more room to play with at the end way. Then you can, tra- you, you can be going into a peak week around maintenance calories, nice and fresh. Because again, that's going to affect the look. If you're going into your peak week, like fatigued out of your brain, running low calories, low zero carb, you're just not going to look the same as, as soon as you start to load them, you know, you know, yeah. carb load, for example. Definitely. Cool. Um, and then with the, like, with the, fe- like the phases with the females, obviously you've got like your luteal and follicular <laughs> and stuff like that. How do you structure like training and nutrition around those phases? So obviously like with the follicular phase post, you know, day when you start your bleed, for example. <clears throat> And you just gradually start to see issues rise through the follicular phase there. And this is where people will generally feel the best. <clears throat> they'll be able to push harder in the gym. They'll feel good. And then post-ovulation is probably where people will start to, to pick and come down on that, on, the, on that slide, if you like. And, you know, roughly a week out from the next bleed is when they'll typically start to feel a bit shit. Yeah. Ovation will be down. You'll be, you know, the, the sleep might start to suffer. You see a um, difference in like scale weight then as well. Yeah, so around, again, person-dependent, and this is why I like to get females to track the cycle. They'll see a spike in body weight, usually around a week before the cycle. Day day three of the bleed, for example, you start to see that weight fall off again <clears throat> as, as the hormones are changing. <clears throat> so this is where like, <clears throat> I like to use like a reps and reserve with, with, with females, like priest, you know, the end of that luteal phase where the, before the bleed is when they feel a bit shit. That's not the week you want to be pushing for PBs. It's not the week you want to be pushing volume to get, you know, sky high. So that's where we might utilize like reps and reserve that week and, and just be a little bit more um, aware of how they feel. And if they need to take an extra rest day, we'll do that. And this is where cravings will be high as well. Like the, the, the cravings will go through the roof at this point. So they, they might not be as insulin sensitive around this time, but this is where it might be a good idea to throw some extra carbs in just because of, this is where people are most likely to binge. Like if they're going to binge or they're going to overeat, they're going to do it now. So I'd rather pre-plan that and say, right, we're going to run higher calories. And I've done this with a lot of clients where we allow that week before when they feel really shit, I allow more calories that week and I just pull them down the rest of the month. 
Oh, cool. So the monthly intake is still the same, but it just helps manage that week where they tend to overeat and feel really shit. Because the, like, the hunger then can drop off massively, you know, like day three, day four after the bleed. And, and they can get they can get by just fine on even lower calories. So, you know, you can always play around with that as well. Again, person dependent. Some people, a lot of clients, they don't know, they don't feel the difference. And you'll see this in some of the studies, like the, 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 there's not been any noted change in strength or anything like that when they're training, but some will. It's just very person dependent. Yeah. I remember when I first started learning about this kind of stuff, um, and I noticed it within clients who like, certain clients would you know be by the book you know everything that I said when I was like studying this kind of stuff was coming true with them and then other ones it wouldn't seem to affect them at all didn't seem to bother them at all that way and maybe they never just maybe just didn't voice it but you could kind of tell with some of them you know training performance was going down things like that and hunger levels were going up on their tracker sheets and things like that and you're like okay that's exactly exactly what it says it should do almost exactly what it said in the tin and then others it was just you know almost totally random and I suppose that takes us on to the next thing how do you consider, um, you know, when when women are, are using the likes of um, contraceptive and things like that? So obviously, if someone's using a contraceptive, they're not going to go through a normal menstrual cycle. You know, th- th- this doesn't really apply to them because you know there's there's some pill, you, there's some contraception you just take all the time, whether that's the injection or the implant or just a pill you take back to back continuously. Which they're not going to cause fat gain. Which one causes fat? So the I think it's the injection and the implant that are typically worse for that. Yeah. If you look at like the data on it, um, why would that be? Do you know? Increased appetite generally. How is it? Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of other things that are going on when you put exogenous hormones in. You know, like that's it. Yeah, yeah. When you start like messing around with your endocrine system, you know, <laughs> it's it's hard to tell exactly what's going on. I suppose um, it's something personally I, I need to learn more about I'm sure you guys might be a bit more clued up in it for uh, other reasons <laughs> yeah. yeah so i mean you're not going to go through those those luteal and follicular phases if you're on contraception you're not you're not ovulating for starters so and again most of the well the progesterone that they're using these contraceptives they're not actually progesterone it's called progestin it's like a, it's a synthetic version. synthetic yeah, yeah yeah um so if we're looking at a health from a health perspective it's probably not the best thing to take it does the job, it stops you getting pregnant. That's exactly what it does. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, it, apart from that, like, it, it's, it's not, not very good. You know, you're shutting down a hormonal system and a hormonal axis there taking it, just like a, a man would do taking steroids. Yeah. I, I suppose as a coach, you've kind of got to say, look, here are the benefits or here are, and here are the risks and then kind of make your own choice from there. I suppose that's all you can kind of do on that one as well. Um, yeah. You can't really, I suppose, be telling people what contraceptive and that to take. But um, yeah, you've kind of just got to put in, put it out there for them. It's like, look, this is the benefits of this one. This is the risks of this one. Do what you want from there almost. Yeah, I, I think it's making people aware of what, how, how it will impact them because I think just if, because a doctor gives it them, it's like, oh, they'll be fine. Yeah. They don't realise that it's linked to like higher anxiety um, you know, all those other kind of things like your, your nutrient demands might increase, uh, like B vitamins and stuff like that. So you've got to ensure that you're taking on enough micronutrients, through vegetables, for fruit. Again, something a lot of women don't do, and men, men probably work than women. But you know, it's these little things that you need to be doing day in, day out. Um, and, and and even more so your own con- your contraception as well. <clears throat> uh, I, I, some girls I've spoken, they didn't even know that they could only get pregnant, like five days of the month like literally the, the, some girls actually thought they could just get pregnant any time of the month so I think there needs to be more like education 
and learning around that and and the alternatives to it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in terms of my female clients, I've been trying to sort of like I've been trying to track like the cycles and implement like the training phases, but but it's sort of hard like with doing that straight away. You need um, to see where the cycle is like if it's like a regular or it's up and down and. Yeah. Give it a couple of months before you actually start programming in, in like nutritional and training variables around that to change it, haven't you? Yeah, you might want to track the cycle for six months and see how long it lasts because, again, there's that fallacy that every cycle is 28 days long, which is not the case. Like Some people's normal cycle could be 36 days and that could be normal for them, and that's fine. Um, some people, like again, if, if it's really long, like 40-plus days, obviously regular, sometimes they don't get it. You know, you might be looking at things like PCOS or something like that. <clears throat> but again, the more we can hammer down these these um, these basics in terms of sleep, stress management, nutrient intake, like that's going to have a positive impact on regulating a cycle. So then the fundamentals there will ha- will cross over to anything you want to do. Like you want to improve your health, look better. Like that stuff needs to be taken care of all the time. Yeah, definitely. I think you just touched on something then, uh, PCOS and things like endometriosis. Have you worked with a lot of clients with those? A lot, yeah, a lot. Um, my, my girlfriend has PCOS, so right. um, there's something that's... And it's something that's so common that most girls don't even know they have it. Yeah. You know, there's different types of PCOS. There's there's all sorts of different types of PCOS. There's there's usually the similar symptoms are like high androgens, you know, things like a regular cycle that, you know... You, you, you see them, you go, hang on a minute, you know, this is this might be worth looking into. Yeah, one of my <clears> clients, um, he came back, she had PCOS and she had like higher testosterone levels because of it. And then it was harder for her to like lose fat. And I thought, wow, it's all like linked together. And so it was really interesting. Yeah, I'm absolutely that. smashing the weights in the gym though. Yeah, girls with higher androgens, you'll see the, the, the look a certain way for sure. Um, but again, like the main thing with PCOS or anything like that, endometriosis is managing inflammation and insulin sensitivity. You know, they're the two things you really want to take care of. So, again, <laughs> eat your vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> get enough sleep manage your stress like honestly like, i can't stress these things enough because they're so underlooked and the stuff that you can do day to day like when you're dealing with with hormonal issues and things like that you know even like with with clients you, you know what what kind of environment they're in at home like is it stressful environment they're in an abusive relationship like all you know these are constant stresses on someone and they will all have a massive impact if something's happening day on day you know that that's going to take its toll I think a lot of people don't realise, you know, training hard is a stress in the system, you know, like being a calorie deficit is a stress in the system. And I, I suppose like this is prevalent for males too, but you see a lot of females, like you maybe get a female that's doing a lot of cardio and then they're training hard with weights and they're barely eating any food and things like that. And then as you say, all these external stressors as well, um, and they're just, they're just not in a great place. And Nailing those fundamentals, as you say, that's 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 got to be the main thing for for anyone really before before they undertake any sort of diet prep things like that. Just like what we said earlier, but um, yeah, I, I, I think people have kind of got to realise that all all these things take their toll on your on on your um you know your nervous system and things like that. Um, and yeah, they they can all be managed, but we kind of need to kind of need to get that in place first. Yeah, if someone's going into prep, like. You know, again, you're looking at stresses, whether that's physical, mental, whatever that may be. If you're going to prep with a regular menstrual cycle, poor eating habits, poor sleep, 
like a really stressful home or work environment, and then you're throwing a massive calorie deficit in the mix and training on top of that, and they wonder why they're not progressing or getting results or looking worse. Like <laughs> you're asking for it, do you know what I mean? Like you go go back to the kind of cycle sort of thing, and um, like menstrual cycle sort of thing. Do you see a lot of like amenorrhea and things like that with women when they compete? Yeah, again, very different. I've had first. It's more common than it's not. So a lot of people, yeah. more people, more girls do lose the cycle than than keep it. I've had girls that are in great condition and then come on on, on the period on show day sometimes, <laughs> which is not where you want. No, that's not where you want. But is it generally is it like a, a certain time into prep where it can happen or occur after dieting or again person dependent? Some some can get two two months into dieting and, and lose it. And what you'll see again, like I was saying about the the, the, the difference in, in girls and the genetic in individuality that there is, that some girls will be affected massively by a calorie deficit. Yeah. So as soon as they do go back into a deficit, them hormones drop right straight away. Well, and that is then setting them up for a much harder prep. Yeah. And it's not a healthy place to be either. It's something oh. you obviously want to regain as soon as you possibly can. But I suppose at the end of the day, a, a, a show prep isn't a health healthy thing really um and it's just something a temporary thing essentially and then you want to get back to kind of full health as soon as you can after that really yeah and that's i like the pod, the last podcast i did this is what i was talking about where these um hormonal interventions might be of more benefit than detriment like in a lot of cases i in some people it can be much more unhealthy competing naturally than assisted because you, at least you can sub in them hormones through exogenous ones whether that's thyroid testosterone you know if you're putting yourself in a healthier hormonal position even if it is exogenous hormones it's going to lead to a much better look how you feel how you perform yeah and then you can take those things out once you're back into a calorie surplus i think the big thing with that side of things male and females is you'll see a lot of guys using, you know, different steroids and things like that that don't have a clue what they're doing and taking a cocktail of stuff. Um, and yeah, that's not going to, that's not going to be beneficial for most people. Not at all. And again, it's another stressor, like the, the stress that has in, on your, your organs for starters on your brain, you know, if you're running a hell of a lot of drugs, the back end of prep, you can look a lot worse for it. Yeah, definitely. You know, I've seen that before where, you, you reduce someone's drugs and they look and they feel so much better for it because they just pull it, reducing another stressor. As for females in terms of like drugs, what are the common ones um, take a figure competitor would take? So a, a very common one would be like clenbuterol. You know, it's a stimulant that's going to help them burn more fat um, and, an, and a common anabolic. These are the two most common used in pretty much all classes would be like an anavar tablet. Yeah. which is um, which is an and androgen. And again, that comes with ob the obvious risks as a female. You know, you take too much androgen for too long, you will start to virilize. You know, your voice will drop. You'll, you'll start seeing facial hair gain, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and again, there's a massive, massive lack of understanding and knowledge around those areas. Again, these people just going, oh, well, she took that. She told me to take that and she felt fine, you know. And... And then you look at these people and you're like, well, listen to how they speak. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> not, you know, and most girls don't really want a manly voice. Let's face it, do they? Um, I suppose like, like, like with everything we've talked about today, 
it's going to be individual. And it's just because one person's took this like a stack of drugs doesn't mean that's going to be right for you even like different doses and things like that. And I, I think for me, like being a natural competitor, when I listen to like, even what you just said there, I'm like listening carefully. I'm like, what the fuck is this stuff? And so many people will be going into like taking, taking steroids and things like that with the same lack of knowledge on it that I have. And when like, you, you always get people when you're natural, you always get people, Oh, would you ever go on? And I'm like, I don't have a clue about any of this stuff. I'm not going to start taking like different like supplements, steroids, things like that. that I have no idea about. And um, but too many people do, I would say. <laughs> the vast majority do. The problem is this when people do research, like they're learning from the wrong people as well. Yeah. So where would you go to, to learn about this kind of stuff? It sounds so, as if I'm, I'm like going to get on cycle after this now. Like, where, where'd I go and learn about this? If I was going to learn, you know, if, if I was starting out and I wanted to learn about all different types of peds, there'd be Joe Jeffries putting a lot of good stuff out on the physique collects. If you've got Victor Black, who's got a, um, a website, who's pumping out loads of information um, on, on the safer use models these are as well. They're not just education. They're educating you how to use it as safely as possible because it's, not, it's never going to be safe. But it's as safe as possible, and this is what I try and pass on to my clients. As um... that's it, I think ever since I've started working with, with a, a totally different approach in terms of like pets, and I feel way better for it. Yeah, the, the things like I mean, like, and this is again going back to the individuality of people. You can someone can take X amount of drugs and feel brilliant, progress great. That another person could take that amount and they could feel horrendous, high fatigue, no appetite. You know, they, they're seeing a lot of side effects, whether that's some, you know, um, aromatization effects, you know. So it's just working out and again, working with that person longer to, to understand what they can tolerate, where they perform best. And and you, you're constantly gathering information on people. Yeah, I think the take home thing is every time we talk about training, nutrition or anything like that, it's always like who we're talking about, isn't it? Like who's the individual and yeah. it always comes down to that. Yeah, it's like if you're setting up a training plan for someone, what does that person need? That's yeah. the same thing across the board. What do they need? What, 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 what nutritional interventions do they need? Do they just need a basic? You need to just fucking sleep more, drink some water, and eat four or five meals a day. You know, and that's that will then see them progress massively because of the point that they're at. Where you've got a higher end competitor, they might need these small tweaks in the 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 the, the ped stack or you know, the, the the more individual uh, approach to the training where they might need to tweak small things. They might need to start paying attention more to um, specific body parts, for example, where the, the, the training split might need to bias something and something else might need to take a back seat. For example, like a physique competitor, your, your legs could afford to take a back seat because you're not getting judged on your legs. So well, let's let's specialise this training programme around your chest or your delts or, or your back, you know, things like that. And it's just about understanding what people need and where they're at in the, in the journey. When you mentioned kind of training, it was something we meant to ask about. And Josh, um, not Josh, but... Um... I'm forgetting your name here, James. Um, James was was scared to to ask you about this in case you programmed them in. But like, women generally kind of love to train legs. And you always see a lot of like things like crab walks and things like that. Um, so, um, like, I mean, what what would you kind of generally do? You generally find you have to drive women towards doing like upper body stuff and things like that, or do you have to take them away from things like crab walks and take them towards like maybe more compound lifts and you know things like that? How do you find that that usually goes? So the, the, the majority of girls that come to me, they're, they're, they're probably way past like the crab walk type of stuff. <laughs> so you don't program them in? 
I f- definitely do not. I, I thought they were in James's program. <laughs> <laughs> if you see him walking around the gym doing that, you better tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <treadmill> sideways. <laughs> but, but again, that, that's a perfect example of someone probably just looking at Instagram. That girl's got a good bum. What's she doing? Yeah. She's so selling you, your hopes and dreams and that's it. With the females you get coming to you, do you ever have to like dispel these things saying, oh, I really like doing this sort of shit? And you're like, no, just don't do it. Or they've got like some sort of attachment around a certain exercise. There's a lot of things like, there's a lot of things you have to change with some people. And and a lot of it can be the lack of understanding of a process or the lack of understanding of training fundamentals. Yeah. And it's just, and they're not far off the mark sometimes, but there's, there's tweaks you're like, they, they do this and they go, oh, well, I feel this there, so I do that. And I'm like, well, you know, this is training the lengthened part of the muscle, so that's why you're going to feel it there. And, and we, then we're going to transition into training something in the shortened part, yeah. you know, and that, and they're going to work synergistically like that. And I think it's just some people don't understand why we're doing that. And they go, I feel this movement here, or I don't feel it there. And girls, for example, oh, I feel it all in my quads, this. Do you know what I mean? And it, I think there's a, there's a misconception where, if you're training your glutes, everything should feel like a kickback type movement. Yeah. So you should feel that short and tight pump. Whereas like you didn't, if you train something in a shortened position, it's going to feel a hell of a lot different to train something in a lengthened position, isn't it? Yeah, you're not going to get the same feeling. And I think there's a lot of sensation based training. Again, that's why these bands work because you feel that a lot in your glutes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But like, I could go and run a 5k and I'd feel that in my legs for fucking three weeks. It doesn't mean it's building muscle on my legs. Do you know what I mean? So we can't confuse sensation with it being good. Because yeah. like sensation could could mean something's bad. It's like people doing like RDLs, putting the feet on blocks and loading yeah. the right nerve and things like that. I mean, that's sensation. Again, it just translates into doing the bands and all that. not saying it's going to load a nerve or anything, but just sensation. You're not going to get really much out of it. I, I, I had this a few weeks ago with a client that she sent me, you know, the toes elevated RDL. Yeah. And, um, and simply just because someone said, oh, put it in, put that on your toes, you'll feel it more. <laughs> I'm like, you feel it more, like you said, because you're stretching your nerve. I feel what more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, what does this, you know, you're stretching a nerve, you're not, you're not changing anything in your glutes. Yeah, your glutes don't cross your ankle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not, it's not having any impact on your glutes at all. Um, so there's things like that you might have to like just, just educate people on and, and make them understand why they're doing certain things. Like we're going to do this because rather than just go, no, you need to do that. It's good for your glutes. Do you know what I mean? Something, oh yeah. Something I've found is um, you'll get someone, I've got a client in mind, like they're maybe not, maybe not got a hell of a lot of hip flexion. Um, so like something like a squat is not really an ideal exercise for them. They can't really get a, a decent enough depth to really get a lot out of it, but they like that exercise. And sometimes it's just like, okay, you can have that. Okay, it's maybe not ideal for you, but you can have that. And, you know, just letting them do their squat or do their crab walks or whatever, because it because to them, you know, that that's great. But knowing as well, right, we're also going to do this other stuff that is going to be more effective. Yeah, yeah. I, and again, as, as, a, as a coach, I think if I was coaching someone like a lifestyle client, that'd be fine. And I think this is the difference where, like, if I'm coaching someone to win a show, like, there's things that we, we we can't compromise on. You're like fuck your crab box. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, they're going, but like a lifestyle client, if they fucking enjoy that crack on, because they're probably not training hard enough for it to make a difference anyway. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Don't this, say that. Some of my clients may listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Like when there's training hard and there's training hard. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. You know I mean, like some people can afford a little bit more volume, where others can't. 
And then the, this is another thing again, like with female men, men and women, like it's just finding that sweet spot with volume and what someone can and can't tolerate. Yeah, I mean, for me, like we do like the, the low volume approach, and there's other people in the gym where they're doing like fucking five or six sets of things. I'm like, fucking hell, that would kill me, absolutely yeah. kill me. And they're recovering fine, but again, they're not training to as intense as the one or two sets that like we're doing. But yeah. Again, very person dependent. Yeah. So again, like when you when you're training or coach someone, it's just about gathering that information and seeing what someone can tolerate. Like we've run like a, a volume escalation with your training, and yeah, and that just then tells us like right after we've done this amount of sets, you can't progress. So that's that's the max recoverable volume you can tolerate. Yeah. As an individual, where someone they could keep going and going and going, and again that's down to how well you can recover because of how hard you can train and things like that. Well, I really like the approach that we did where it's just like um, body part dependent where we're taking up the volume instead of what I've done previously is take up everything all at once and then I'm fucked after four weeks. <laughs> yeah, again, it's, again, when you're dealing with people that have got a higher training age, you know, their needs are massively different. They can't grow systemically all the, like, like they used to. Yeah. You know, we can go into the gym and do a push-pull leg session and everything just grows when you've never trained before. But then further down the line, you'll start to see that you're not really getting the same kind of progress you used to. So something has to change. So you might need to spend more time or more volume in, on certain body parts for them to grow, which means the volume reducing the other body parts so you can cope systemically with it. Definitely it's worked, 100%. Yeah, it definitely does. So even with myself, that's the kind of approach Joe's had with me. And that's where, you know, I pulled some of these things from. Um which again you can pass down to clients, which is why it's always important to have a good a good coach that's constantly learning and you know there's there's no biases towards anything like you said before like you get these you get either like these people who swear by low volume and low volume only and the people that swear by high volume and high volume only but there's 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 a middle ground there and that middle ground is where you'll probably progress the most. That's it. I mean it, again it just comes down to the person. It's just that's always the answer. Yeah always. <laughs> Always. I think we could uh, we could wrap it up with that. I think we can cover everything there, didn't we? It's been good. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so yeah, I mean, any any final words, Josh? Just for like, I suppose men or women who are new to training um, and are kind of, I suppose, struggling to see results. I would make sure you're learning from the right people, um, and I would look at the results people are producing. So if you're going to learn from someone, make sure they're producing results. And make sure they're putting out valuable content, not just junk on Instagram. <laughs> I think yeah, it's don't hard. go to the physique factory. <laughs> it's, it, it, yeah, it's, it's hard, I suppose, with social media these days. There's that much information out there can be information overload. Yeah. So don't expose yourself to too much because that can be the problem a lot of the time. And I suppose with that, people changing approaches all the time. You know, they'll do one thing for one week, one thing for the next week. Like, give it, give it some time, run something for a while, see how it works for you. And yeah. if it's not working, try something else. Yeah, I think that's it. If you find yourself changing, chopping and changing every week to something else, that's probably the problem. Yeah, there's no consistency. No. Perfect. Right, so we'll wrap it up with that. So thanks for listening, guys. And if you've any questions for us on any of that stuff, feel free to head over to our um, Instagram at physique factory, uh, physique under dash factory under dash coaching. Um, and yeah, cool. Yo, cheers, guys.